Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, James Walden, and I am uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, because we have such a full service, there's so much to celebrate and enjoy, we're going to dive right into the Word now. So if you would open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're picking up where Landon left off last week uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 30, well, let me see, what is it? Uh, verses 39 through 56. And I'm going to read that for us. Uh, if you're not familiar or you're new to the Bible, uh, Luke is one of the early books of the New Testament. So you have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And right there at the beginning of Luke, chapter 1, uh, we'll dive into verse 39. I'll give you a moment to turn there and get settled. <clears throat> Luke writes, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice or loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he sent away empty-handed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for three months, which would have brought Elizabeth to her nine-month mark, and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. What would you say the tone of this message is, this passage? Excitement? Joy? Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth's greeting of Mary. I mean, can you imagine Mary walks in and the first thing she hears is, blessed are you. And when, when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby kicks in her womb with joy. Already baby John. We have a baby John in our church. He's not a baby anymore. But baby John already is bearing witness to Jesus, and not out of duty, but out of joy. He knows the Christ is here. And the spirit-filled speech of Elizabeth, I mean, it's like a musical all of a sudden. Mary breaks out in song. <laughs> The 
The scriptures command us an interesting injunction. They command us to rejoice. Paul says it to the Philippians. Paul, who's sitting in prison, awaiting a possible death sentence while being persecuted by so-called Christians. Paul says to the Philippians, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. You have every reason to rejoice, and so do I. It is a command to express joy, rejoice. Express our joy. It's the fulfillment of our joy when we express it. When you eat a good meal, what do you say? Mmm, right? What are you doing? You're rejoicing, and you're fulfilling your enjoyment and expressing your joy. But joy isn't just sort of an outward expression. It's not just sort of a performance. The call to rejoice is not a call just to express joy, to kind of grin through pain, but to experience joy as well as express it. See, joy is a robust ship that can sail on any sea. Joy can sail the seas of troubled and stormy waters of anxiety, of grief, depression. Joy sails the tranquil seas of contentment and the bright waters of happy circumstances. Joy is something we must enter into. We must experience. And in order for us to experience joy, we have to have two things. One, we have to have a reason to rejoice. We have to have good grounds for rejoicing. Is your rejoicing justified? For the Christian, the answer is an overwhelming yes. We must have reason to rejoice. And two, we need to have a rejoicing presence with us. You ever around somebody who's filled with joy? What does it do? It's contagious, isn't it? I need someone who's more joyful than me. This is what I need. And we have it in spades in the presence of Christ. So those two things, we have to understand that we need a good reason to be joyful in the joyful presence of others, ideally one more joyful than we are. See, behind all this brokenness, loss and grief, and our ache bears witness to it, is a deep down inexhaustible goodness that if you trace the twisted roots of our world back to all the way to the world's infancy, what you find is true beauty. Behind our fallen order stands a good God who pronounced over the fresh grass, the young seas, and the expanding heavens, it is very good. But better than that, And the reason Mary and Elizabeth are rejoicing is because they've received good news, new news. The 16th century pre-reformer William Tyndale defined the gospel this way. He says, it's a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad, makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. That's what the gospel does. What is that news then? It's that in the person of this long-promised Messiah, the good God was restoring all the broken things, returning them not only to their original blessing, 
not just restoring them to factory settings, but he's upgrading. He's transforming all things into an even higher excellence, a greater good and glory. As Tim Keller, who currently has stage four pancreatic cancer, writes, every sad thing is going to come untrue and somehow will be greater for having once been broken and lost. With this good news, the weary world rejoices. Let's enter into that joy together. But joy is not something that we can conjure. It's the gift of God. It's the good news that comes out of nowhere. It's the good presence of God. The Holy Spirit is all over this passage. The Holy Spirit causes baby John to kick. The Holy Spirit uh, inspires Elizabeth's utterance and Mary's song. The most joyful person in the universe is God. And he gives us himself in the Holy Spirit. And so would you pray with me as we look more closely at Mary's song that God would give us this gift of joy. We'd be able to enter into it together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of joy that you give us, that you have made available to us forever in Jesus. May we enter into that joy now through faith, Lord. With the empty hands of faith, may we just receive this gift and Lord, the gift of your Holy Spirit who allows us to experience that joy, not just express it outwardly, but know it intimately. Grant us that gift now, I ask, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, well, three things I want to consider this morning from Mary's experience here in our text for this joy. The first grounds, I think, for Mary's incredible joy, as well as Elizabeth's and John's, is that her faith finds confirmation. Remember, the whole reason why she gets up and leaves in haste, as it says, to go visit Elizabeth is because the angel gave her a sign in her confusion. When the angel says to her, oh, favored one, she's like, favored one? What? And says, you're going to bear the Messiah. And she asks, how can this be? And he explains, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Look, your cousin Elizabeth, who was decades past her, her ability to have children. She's pregnant now in her sixth month. And so as soon as the angel leaves, it's the image that Luke paints here is that it's like Mary just gets up and goes. She wants to go see Elizabeth. She wants her faith confirmed. She wants confirmation. She wants encouragement. The angel gave her that sign because he knows Mary will need it that Mary will face many trials, that many of her expectations of what it means to bear the Christ will be unmet and shattered as an old prophet will tell Mary to her face, as we'll see this next week, a sword will pierce your own soul. As Mary will see her own dearly loved boy rejected, beaten, mocked, and crucified. This is not what she expects, and sorrow will fill her heart. She needs the encouragement of faith. And she goes, and what does she find? 
a very pregnant Elizabeth who tells her the first thing, my baby kicked when you came in. And then Elizabeth's in spirit-filled words of encouragement. Oh, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you, for you believed what God promised. We all need that encouragement. I love this picture of Elizabeth and Mary. That's Mary with her head down. And Elizabeth's got a slightly bigger belly. She's laughing. They just cannot believe the joy. This is, the, this is joy. It comes out of nowhere. You didn't expect it. It's just the gift of God. And Elizabeth is giving the gift of joy to Mary and her words of encouragement. And we need this gift so bad. We need this encouragement. We saw it in the book of Jude. Beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. We need to be edified, encouraged in our faith because we too face broken expectations and hardship that we did not ask for or foresee. And we get discouraged. I know this verse gets thrown around a lot, but there's good reason for it. On the screen is from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up to us through the curtain, that is his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Not because your faith is full. Not because your faith is so strong, but because the pathway for you has been objectively opened by his blood. It stands wide open to you. And so you can, in your weakness of faith, in your feebleness of faith, in your doubt, in your fear, confidently enter into the presence of God. The doors have been thrown open wide. And so it's an invitation for all of us to draw near. Having our, our consciences sprinkled clean, confessing our sins, and our bodies washed with pure water, a picture of baptism, which we'll be celebrating in a moment. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We are not. We do waver. We do stumble. But he who's promised it is firm and sure and unwavering. And so we have a perfect hope. For he who promised is faithful, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together how badly we need the presence of others for joy, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day dawning. We stumble in the dark, and some of us have tripped up. Some of us are on the ground. And we need each other to come around and pick us up, to encourage us to walk and point to the, the edge of dawn that burns. Say, it's coming. The light of day is already peering over the horizon. Let's walk together. You need that. I need that. Encouragement. If we're going to last. The message of Hebrews is, if we don't have this encouragement, we won't make it. We need it. And it's how we feed joy. It's the presence of others, especially the Holy Spirit. The second thing Mary receives 
is the surprising hope realized. She speaks here in the past tense, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices, for he has looked on the humble estate. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. He was mighty, has done great things for me. She didn't expect this. It wasn't like Mary was waiting in a room before Gabriel entered, thinking, when am I going to get pregnant with the Messiah? When's that going to happen? She was not expecting this. She was longing for the hope of Israel's redemption, but she didn't expect to play this kind of role in it. And so often God shows up in our lives and we were not expecting him. That was certainly true of my coming to Christ. I was not looking for Jesus. In fact, I was trying to avoid him. But he just abruptly entered my life, showed me his love for me at the cross, and said, James, I have purchased you with my own blood. You are mine. So take up your cross and follow me. There was no negotiating. There was no, well, can we, can we work a contract on this? Can I, can I offer? He was like, no, this is what's, what's going to happen now. <laughs> he was very patient, but he was firm. And then something totally surprising happened to me. I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, I, I who avoided reading the Bible, had no interest in the Bible, couldn't wait to open it again to see the face of God, to encounter him afresh. I know I was a teenager and I was still a mess. God had fundamentally changed me to the presence of his Spirit. I didn't expect that. Maybe you know that kind of joy. But Mary stands in a unique position. As, as Elizabeth says, blessed are you among all women. She declares her the mother of my Lord. From all generations, from now on, Mary says, will call me blessed. I will be the most blessed woman, woman in history. Mary is unique. She has a preeminence that will never be surpassed among any women or anyone else, a privilege none will have. She is the mother of God, with the church fathers called the Theotokos, the God-bearer. And so she has a supreme blessing that no one else will ever take from her. She'll have a supreme glory in heaven. She will have a supreme honor, just like she had a supreme suffering at watching her boy die. Her glory is unique to her. Her sufferings are unique to her. But we can enter into her same joy and into this same blessing. I love this verse from later in Luke's gospel. It's as if Luke anticipated a kind of merry cult might emerge. So he includes this story. And so as Jesus is teaching these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice so impressed with Jesus. She says, blessed is the womb who bore you and the breasts which nursed you. Like, your mother must be so proud, you know. But Jesus says, look what he says. Rather, blessed are those who hear God's word and keep it. He's not saying, no, that womb isn't blessed. No, Mary, my mother, isn't blessed. He's saying this supreme blessing is for all who hear my word and submit themselves to my yoke. 
Because Mary didn't just bear God. She was the Theotokos because she believed. Blessed are you among all women, as Elizabeth says, for you believed what was promised to you. And this gift is for all. As Mary says in verse 50, this mercy isn't just for her. This mercy is for all who fear God from generation to generation. It has been granted to you for Christ's sake, Paul writes to the Philippians, to believe in him, to be given this gift, this blessing, and not just to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Mary knew it was granted to her to believe, but also a sword would pierce her own soul. But she did not consider her present sufferings worth comparing. Remember what she was going home to, three months pregnant, she was maybe starting to show. What was she going home to? She's a single teenage girl. I mean, we know Joseph didn't understand. Joseph was going to divorce her. What would her family think? What would her community think? But she didn't consider her present sufferings worth comparing to the glory that was coming. And that's the third part. She knows that with this, this realized blessing of the conception of Christ in her own womb, all the hopes and dreams of all the years are met in Mary. She she knows that this great hope that God's given is secure. So we'll jump to that third point, a great hope secured. Mary's song here, verses 46 through 55, is really, it's a collage of all kinds of Old Testament poetry. Luke is, what Luke's doing by recording the song is saying, all the hopes and dreams of Israel are now met in Mary. All of the longings, all of the promises of God are now yes and amen. And Mary is bearing witness to the fact that all this is coming true now. The song that this bears striking resemblance to is another woman who was not expecting, but by the grace of God became an expectant mother. Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Hannah's song maybe is the prototype that Mary used as she compiled this this song of praise. She had a four-day journey. Maybe she was mulling this over as she walked to Elizabeth's house. But look at uh, on the screen from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 47. My heart exalts in the Lord. This is Hannah. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Compare that to Mary's song, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Or jump down to verse uh, uh, 4 through 8. Look at what Hannah sings. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, 
but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, the grave, and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Now, compare that to Mary's song. Look at verses 51 and following. Mary sings, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, I don't know if Mary was literate as a first century Palestinian woman. Historians would tell us she probably was not, but I do know this. She was biblically literate because she would sit in the synagogue every Sabbath and hear Israel's scriptures read. She would sing the Psalms with Israel. She had absorbed not just Israel's hope, but Israel's scriptures. And so she could locate herself in God's story. Are you biblically literate? Can you place yourself, do you place your story in God's story. That's how we connect to joy. We connect to the, what God is doing in the world and where we fit within it. But that assumes we know God's story, that we are, we are, we are imbibing his word. We're drinking it in. We're, we're mulling it over. We're singing it, rehearsing it, memorizing it, living in it, living out of it, like Mary clearly did in this scripture-saturated song that she sings. And Jesus does fulfill some of this in his own lifetime. I mean, Jesus will give a very similar word in his Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain when he says, Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be filled. Woe to you who are full now, for you will go hungry. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will rejoice. Woe to you who laugh now. This reversal of God's kingdom is coming already in Jesus in the birth of Christ. The stone that the builders, the chief architects reject becomes the chief cornerstone. And so it's coming. What's fascinating is Mary here speaks of not just like ancient things God did back then. She's speaking of future things. In fact, when Hannah speaks of the future, she uses the future tense. She says, God will thunder from heaven. God will judge his enemies. God will exalt his anointed king. She's expecting a long-distant king to come. And David fulfills that in part. Mary doesn't use future tense at all. Did you notice that? It's all past tense. It's what students of Scripture call the prophetic perfect. She's speaking of events that have not happened yet, that God has kept all of his promises to Israel, that God has overturned the order of the world, that he has humbled the self-exalted and exalted the humble. That has not all happened yet. It started to happen in Mary's humble estate as a servant. She has been exalted in her humble estate, but only in an inauguratory way. It, it, it isn't fulfilled yet. It's not finished. It's just barely begun, and yet she speaks of all this as though 
It's already done. You know what Mary's doing? She is enjoying the happy ending of God's story in the middle of her story. See, she is enjoying God's happy ending right now. And so can you and I. Because as this prophetic perfect indicates, what God has begun, he will certainly finish. It's as good as done. It's as good as done. This is our firm joy. I want to just close our time with this text from 1 Peter. I don't have it on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. Beautiful passage from the pen of Peter. He writes this to suffering Christians, suffering, persecution, rejection, marginalization, misunderstanding. In this, he says, you rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various hardship so that the tested genuineness of your faith, it's tested, it's proven, it's, it's tried, it's been through the ringer. But the fact that you keep showing up, the fact that you even pray this prayer of faith, I believe, help my unbelief. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it's tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The hardship you're walking through is to result in praise, glory, and honor on that day. Though you have not seen him, you love him. I'm reminded of what Jesus says to doubting Thomas. Do you remember doubting Thomas in the Gospel of John? He's like, unless I see for myself and place my hands in his wounds, I will never believe he rose from the dead. And Jesus accommodates his request. And when he does, when he puts his hand in the wounds of Jesus, he falls down and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus' response is so encouraging. He says, do you believe now that you see, I tell you, blessed are those who do not see, but believe. That's y'all. None of us have seen and felt for ourselves the wounds of Christ. But we who believe are more blessed than Thomas. We join with Mary's blessing. Blessed is she who believes. You're greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says. The least in the kingdom of God, he says, is greater than John, though John is greater than all born of women. You who are least, maybe you think you're the least believer in this church. You're the least Christian in Columbia, the least Christian in the global church. Maybe you're the least Christian in the history of God's people. You know what that means? You're greater than John the Baptist because you have been more supremely blessed than he has. So, as he says, though you've not seen him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. You express it, but you don't exhaust it. You can never express it fully enough. Filled with glory right now. Future glory now in your inexpressible joy. 
as you obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, it's happening now as we speak, as the Spirit gives us his joy. Listen, that day you will stand before the throne of the Son of Man, and he will look you in the eye, you who of feeble faith kept coming to him and saying, help my unbelief. He will look you in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, enter my joy. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your joy. And as we celebrate this morning, Lord, the signs of faith that confirm and corroborate and edify and build up our faith in baptism and here at your table, Lord Jesus. Would you encourage us now? Would you feed our joy through Jesus Christ, we pray.